ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم أما بعد we continue with the sister classes class number 9 where we are covering the tafsir of surah al-fatiha and matters of jurisprudence connected to the woman and benefits from the biographies of the wives of the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam in the last class we had arrived to the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal Iyyaka na'budu wa iyyaka nasta'in You alone Allah we worship and you alone Allah we seek for help This statement iyyaka na'budu wa iyyaka nasta'in is the verse that is divided between Allah and his servant as we covered in al-hadith al-qudsi that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala stated that he divided the prayer between himself and his servant into two parts one part for him and the other part for his servant and in the narration it states wa idha qala iyyaka na'budu wa iyyaka nasta'in قَالَ هَذَا بَيْنِي وَبَيْنَ عَبْدِي وَلِعَبْدِ مَا سَأَلْ So when the servant says in reciting Surah Al-Fatiha You alone we worship and you alone we seek for help Allah he states this is between me and my servant and for my servant is that which he asked for so this is the middle point of surah al-fatiha iyyaka na'budu that's for allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you alone allah we worship wa iyyaka nasta'in and you alone allah we seek for help that's for us meaning we're seeking allah's aid and help also we covered that this statement iyyaka na'budu wa iyyaka nasta'in 
repels, showing off in one's actions, and it repels arrogance. For when you say, You alone Allah, we worship. Then you're establishing that the act of worship is for Allah alone. And that you're not performing the acts of worship to show off to the people. And to be known and recognized by the people or to be praised by the people. Because all acts of worship are for Allah alone. And we do not do acts of worship to be praised by the people or to become famous amongst the people. And as for then this repels arrogance. For the reason we are seeking Allah's help is because we are deficient. Only Allah Azawajal is almighty and all-powerful, not in need of anyone. Whereas human beings, we are weak. And we are in need of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And without Allah, we will not be successful in our affairs. Without Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we will be misguided. We will be lost. So for this reason, we seek Allah's aid and we seek Allah's help. As Allah He mentions in Surah Al-Fatir, verse number 15, Ya ayyuhan nas, Antumul الْفُقَرَاءُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَاللَّهُ هُوَ الْغَنِيُّ الْحَمِيدُ O mankind, all of you are poor and in need of Allah, and Allah is the all-rich and the all-praiseworthy. So Allah is not in need of anyone or anything. As Allah, He states in Surah Al-Ikhlas, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدُ اللَّهُ الصَّمَدُ Say he Allah is one, and Allah is a samad A samad it means the one who is independent, and not in need of anyone or anything, but everyone and everything is in need of him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah is a samad Allah is al-ghani, and Allah is al-hamid. So when we say, نستعين, In you alone, Allah, we seek for help. That's the servant showing his need of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This statement of Allah, Is a cure for the sicknesses of the heart. Riya, or showing off in one's actions, is a sickness. 
It is from shirk billah azza wa jal. And kibriya is also a sickness. Or al-kibr. Arrogance and pride is also a sickness of the heart. So with these two statements, this is a cure for the sicknesses of the heart. As we covered, Surah Al-Fatiha is a cure for the sicknesses of the heart. And it also is a cure for the sicknesses of the body, the physical ailments. Al-Hafidh ibn Kathir, he mentions that Qatada, he stated, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ يَأْمُرُكُمْ أَن تُخْرِسُوا لَهُ الْعِبَادَةِ وَأَن تَسْتَعِينُوا عَلَىٰ أُمُورِكُمْ Qatada, he stated, the statement of Allah, you alone Allah we worship and you alone we seek for help. Allah is commanding you to make the worship sincerely for Him. And He is commanding you that you seek His help upon your affairs. Also it is mentioned in the tafsir of Ibn Kathir, وَإِنَّمَا قَدَّمَ إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ عَلَىٰ وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ لِأَنَّ الْعِبَادَةَ لَهُ هِيَ الْمَقْصُودِ وَالْإِسْتِعَانَةُ وَصِيلَةٌ إِلَيْهَا And the reason why, or the only reason why, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ is mentioned before إِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ or you alone Allah we worship is mentioned before you alone we seek for help because the matter of worship is the intent that's the goal that's the aim and seeking Allah's help is the means to arrive to that goal so the goal and the aim is mentioned first because that's what's most important and then the means is mentioned afterwards we move on to the statement of Allah Ta'ala, اِهْدِنَ الصِّرَاطُ وَالْمُسْتَقِيمُ Guide us to the straight path. This statement, guide us to the straight path, is that which is for the slave. He's asking, after asking Allah for help, He's asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for guidance. And the scholars, they say that Surah Al-Fatiha teaches the servant the best mannerisms of making dua. And that is that when you want to make dua and ask Allah for that which you are in need of, praise Allah first. Mention Allah in a good manner first. Don't just go directly to asking Allah for what you need and for what you want. Rather praise Allah, magnify Allah. And then after you have praised Allah and magnified Allah, then you go into asking for that which you are in need of or that which you want. Because the beginning of Fatiha is the praise. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Malik Yawmideen, Iyyaka Na'budu. So all praise for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All of these statements are magnification of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala.
So after beginning one's dua or preceding one's dua or request with the praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and magnifying Allah and also sending the salah and the salam upon the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as has come in the authentic narration. Then you ask for your need, your want. And this is the best mannerisms in asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for one's request. Guidance here, ihdinas, ihdinas sirat al-mustaqeem, it is mentioned in the command form. Guide us is a command in the Arabic language. Ihdina. Ihdina, yani guide us. However, there's a point or a benefit in the Arabic language. That whenever the command verb is used with one who is above you and higher than you, then it is a request. And whenever the command form is used for one who is below you or under you, then it is a command. So in this case, even though this is the command verb, guide us, when we are saying this to our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's a request. Because no one can command Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to do anything. Allah is the one who commands. No, Allah is not the one who is commanded. So whenever you see in the text, the Qur'an or in the Sunnah, command verbs used with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it means a request. You're actually asking, not that you're telling or commanding Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to do anything. As an example, when a person is sitting in the jalsa position between the two sajdas, we say, That's a command verb. Allah forgive me. But it's not a command, it's a request. Oh Allah, please forgive me. Even though the wording itself is a command verb. Rabbana atina fid dunya hasana is a command verb. Our Lord, give us in the life of this world good. You're not commanding Allah to give you, you're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When it comes to guidance, Guidance is divided into four categories. Al-Hidayatul Amma, Wa Hidayatul Irshad, Wa Hidayatul Tawfiq, Wa Hidayah Fil Akhira, Imma Ila Jannah, Aw Ila Nar. Guidance is divided into four categories. The first category of guidance is the general guidance. And then you have the guidance of direction, the guidance of knowledge. And then you have the guidance of success, 
And then you have the guidance in the hereafter. Either the person is guided to the paradise or a person is guided to the hellfire. These uh, four matters are the four categories of guidance that we find in the Quran. Again, general guidance. And the general guidance is the guidance that is shared between all of creation. A person and even animals, jinns, all of creation, they have this type of guidance. And that is being guided to that which is beneficial. If you look at the animal world as an example, giraffes, they are tall or their necks are very tall. And due to their necks being very long and tall, and their height is tall, they're able to see the plains. For long, for, from a long distance, along, this is the way the giraffe can see. So there are other animals, what they do when they're eating and the likes, they hang around giraffes. Anyone knows the reason? Because of the giraffe being so tall, it can see the animals of prey, the predators, the lions that are like from a distance. So when the giraffe sees it and gets, you know, ready to move and run, the animals are alerted by the giraffe. Because the giraffe can see farther than the other animals are shorter. They can't see over the plains like the giraffe can. But they know the giraffe can see, so they stay near the giraffe. So once the giraffe gets up and get, start moving, they get up and start moving because they know something is coming that they can't see. That's general guidance that Allah has given to them. Human beings likewise, jinns, and other than that, that's general guidance. Being guided to that which is a benefit for you in your worldly affairs. Allah Azza wa he states, and this is establishing uh, this matter of general guidance. قَالَ رَبُّنَا الَّذِي أَعْطَى كُلَّ شَيْءٍ ثُمَّ هَدَى And our Lord, the one who has given everything, its creation, its shape, its form, and then He guided. Meaning guided in the worldly affairs. And that which is of a benefit and suitable for creation. Then you have the guidance of direction. The guidance of direction. The guidance of direction or Hidayatul Irshad is that it's the knowledge, the beneficial knowledge itself. Is a means of guidance. So Allah, He said to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, "وَإِنَّكَ لَتَهْدِي إِلَى سِرَاطٍ مُسْتَقِيمٍ." And indeed, you, O Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, you guide to a straight path. 
Allah described the Prophet wasallam as being a guide, meaning he has the knowledge, he has the revelation that is a guidance for the people. Well, as Allah mentions, وَجَعَوْنَ مِنْهُمْ أَئِمَّةً يَهْدُونَ بِأَمْرِنَا And we have made from amongst them imams, leaders, who guide by our command. Meaning they have the knowledge to direct the people to that which is beneficial for them in their religion. The third category of guidance Hidayat al-Tawfiq The guidance of success This guidance here Is only with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala No one controls Who is going to be guided to the truth Only Allah controls that affair The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he called his uncle Abu Talib to accept Islam. Ya Ammi, Qul la ilaha illallah. Kalima uhaju biha anka indallahi yawm al-qiyamah. O my uncle, say la ilaha illallah a statement that I can defend you with in front of Allah on the day of judgment. And the Prophet kept repeating this to his uncle Abu Talib. However, at the end, Abu Talib, he died upon the religion of his father. He died upon shirk. The Prophet sallallahu was sad over this affair. But what did Allah reveal to him? إِنَّكَ لَا تَهْدِي مَنْ أَحْبَبْتَ وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ يَهْدِي مَنْ يَشَاءَ You, meaning you O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you do not guide who you love, but Allah guides whomsoever He wills. The other verse, Allah says the Prophet is a guide. That verse is Surah Al-Shura, is Surah Al-Shura verse number 52. Indeed, you guide to a straight path. But then, in the other verse, in Surah Al-Qasas, verse number 56, Allah says the Prophet doesn't guide. Is this a contradiction? No. There, there are no contradictions in the Quran. Rather, this is speaking about two different categories of guidance. In the verse where Allah says, indeed, you guide to a straight path, this is the guidance of direction. The Prophet Muhammad had the knowledge to guide the people. And in the verse where Allah says, you do not guide who you love, but Allah guides whomsoever He wills. This is the guidance of success. Only Allah controls who's going to accept the guidance and who's not going to accept the guidance. That's not in the hands of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah Azza wa Jal, He mentions... وَمَنْ يُؤْمِنْ بِاللَّهِ يَهْدِ قَلْبَهِ And whoever believes in Allah, Allah guides his heart. So the guidance is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala.
the last category of guidance, and it is from the greatest of the categories of guidance, and it is the aim of the previous categories of guidance, and that is being guided to the paradise. And those who abandon the guidance of direction and Allah does not give them the guidance of success, then in the hereafter, those people will be guided to the hellfire. So the only two destinations in the hereafter, either to paradise, either to the hellfire. Allah Azza wa Jal, He mentions, وَالَّذِينَ قُتِلُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ فَلَنْ يُدِلَّ أَعْمَالَهُمْ سَيَهْدِيهِمْ وَيُسْلِحُ بَالَهُمْ Allah Azza wa Jal, He mentions in Surah Muhammad, and this is the proof for the guidance of, or the guidance that takes place in the hereafter. Indeed, those who are killed in the path of Allah, And what is meant by those who are killed in the path of Allah, meaning they died striving to make la ilaha illallah uppermost. Allah will never cause their deeds to go to waste. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is just and fair. And if you do good, you receive good. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would never allow the deeds of those who die for His sake and His cause to go to waste. So they will be rewarded. So those who are killed in the way of Allah, He will never let their deeds be lost and go to waste. He will guide them and set right their affairs. Guide them where? They're, they're dead already. So where's this guidance? In the next life. Because these individuals have already been killed. So this is definitely not talking about guidance in the dunya. They're dead already. They, their lives have come to an end in this worldly life. So it's not speaking about guidance in the dunya or in the life of this world. Rather, it is the, the guidance that takes place in the hereafter. Allah will guide them Meaning he will guide them to the paradise. 
and he will set their affairs upright. Also, from the proofs that there is guidance in the hereafter, the statement of the people of paradise when they enter into the paradise. Allah Azza wa Jal, he mentions, وَقَالُوا الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ الَّذِي هَدَانَ لِهَذَا وَمَا كُنَّا لِنَهْتَدِي لَوْلَا أَنْ هَدَانَ اللَّهِ All praise is due to Allah, the one who has guided us to this. And we would not have been guided if Allah had not guided us. Surah Al-A'raf, verse number 43. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He mentions that the people of paradise will state this statement or make this statement upon entering into the paradise. Also, barakallah fikum. Yarhamukallah. Allah Azza wa Jal, He states, Fahduhum ila sirat al-jaheem. Guide them to the path of the hellfire. Guide them to the path of the hellfire. This shows that there is guidance to the hellfire, meaning for the people who will be punished in the hellfire. For the people who their destination is the hellfire, they will be directed to the hellfire. Also Allah Azza wa Jal mentions وَجَعَلْنَاهُمْ أَئِمَّةً يَدْعُونَ إِلَى النَّارِ And we have made them leaders calling to the hellfire. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for safety and security from being guided to the hellfire, and we ask him for the success to be guided to the paradise. I mean, so the straight path that one is asking to be guided to. It is the clear way 
that has no crookedness within it whatsoever. Some of the scholars of Tafsir, they said, the straight path is Islam. Some have said the straight path is the Qur'an. Some have mentioned the straight path is following the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The straight path is Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhumah. All of these statements are synonymous with one another. There are no contradictions. There's a narration on the authority of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anh. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam khattan. Thumma qala hadha sabirullah. Thumma khatta an yaminihi wa an shimalihi khututan. Thumma qala هَذِهِ السُّبُلِ الْمُتَفَرِّقَةِ عَلَى كُلِّ سَبِيلٍ مِنْهَا شَيْطَانٍ يَدُعُ إِلَيْهِ ثُمَّ تَلَا قَوْلَ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى وَأَنَّ هَذَا صِرَاطِي مُسْتَقِيمٌ فَاتَّبِعُوهُ وَلَا تَتَّبِعُوا السُّبُلَ فَتَفَرَّقَ بِكُمْ عَنْ سَبِيلِهِ ذَلِكُمْ وَصَّاكُمْ بِهِ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ the Prophet ﷺ, he drew a line on the floor. He said, this is the path of Allah. And then he drew lines on the right and on the left. And he said, these other paths that are different and separate from one another, at the head of each path, there's a devil, a shaitan calling to it. And then... He mentioned the statement of Allah, this is my path, the straight path, therefore follow it. And do not follow the other paths, for they will separate you away from his path. And that is what he, Allah, has commanded you with in order that you may attain piety. So the path of Allah is the straight path, the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that which is other than the religion of Allah is the paths of the shayateen, the paths of the devils. And the paths of the devils, they fall under two categories, the paths of desires, evil desires, and the paths of doubts. The paths of evil desires and the paths of doubts. For these are the two ways the shaitan, he attacks the servant from, to take him away from the religion of Allah. Either by way of desires, and this is for the one who if his knowledge is strong in the religion, the shaitan comes to him from the angle of desires. So the desires are to be combated with patience. Having patience and staying away from the haram. If a person is one who is patient, but yet his knowledge is not that strong, then the shaitan comes to him from the angle of doubts. Doubts meaning 
bringing things to him that are not from the religion under the guise of being the religion so that the person can fall into innovation and think that he's doing something religious because he knows to stay away from the haram that's not his issue his issue is not with his lowly desires he's strong in that area but when it comes to the knowledge of the deen he's not that strong He's not that strong when it comes to the details of aqidah and the likes. So the shaitan can come to him from this angle. The man is not that strong when, coming, when it comes to knowing what the sunnah is. He doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke, he doesn't commit zina, he doesn't steal, he doesn't... He, he leaves off those things. But the knowledge, he's weak in his knowledge. So the shaitan comes to him from the angle of the doubts. To mislead him. So the doubts are to be combated with certainty. And the desires are to be combated with patience. And then you have some, the shaitan attacks them from both angles. From the angle of doubts and the angle of desires. So when we ask Allah Azza wa Jal to guide us to the straight path, we're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect us from those paths of the shayateen and to keep us firm upon his path. The question comes now, why is it that at least 17 times in a day We have this statement, إِهْدِنَا الصِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ Guide us to the straight path. When the person who is praying, he's guided. The person who is praying, he's guided. When a person comes to the masjid and prays, or a woman is in her home, she's praying in her home. That's guidance from Allah. So why the constant request for the guidance? The scholars have mentioned that is due to the great need that the servant has for guidance at all times and in all situations. So we're constantly asking Allah for guidance. And we're constantly asking Allah for success. So you're asking Allah for the knowledge so that you know right from wrong in your affairs. And you're asking Allah for the success so that you can do what's right and stay away from what's wrong. And then the third matter, hidayatul thabat. The guidance of remaining consistent. So we are constantly asking Allah to guide us to the straight path. This entails the guidance of the knowledge, the guidance of following the knowledge, and then the guidance of remaining consistent upon having knowledge and following the knowledge and implementing the knowledge. Because you have people, they have knowledge. And they'll practice what they know, but then they slack. They don't have consistency. So when asking Allah, المستقيم, we're asking Allah for that consistency, for the stability of being firmly grounded upon the deen. 
and not practicing the deen sometimes, and then sometimes, uh, you know, not being those who practice the deen at sometimes, and then those who don't practice at other times. No, we want to be people, we are practicing the deen all the time, in all of our situations. As the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Fear Allah wherever you are. And Allah Azza wa mentions, وَلَا تَمُوتُنَّ إِلَّا وَأَنْتُمْ مُسْلِمُونَ And do not die unless you are Muslims. Meaning that you always have to be in a state of Islam, practicing Islam, submitting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Bismillah, alhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalam ala nabiyyina Muhammad. وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد In the last class We left off with the Mara Of Cleaning the urine of the child that does not desire or eat solid food and that the breast milk is the food of the child that's the that's the foundation for the child the breast milk that if this child urines upon one's garment that the garment has to be washed However, there is a difference between the urine of the male child that doesn't eat solid food or desire solid food and the urine of the female child. We have the narration on the authority of Abu Samh, the servant of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. قَالَ قَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ يُغْسَلُوا مِنْ بَوْلِ الْجَارِيَةِ وَيُرَشُّ مِنْ بَوْلِ الْغُلَامِ That the urine of the female child is to be washed. Whereas the urine of the male child, water is to be sprinkled over it. Also, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, a child was brought to him, a male child was brought to him. And the male child urinated upon the garment of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam took some water in his hand and sprinkled it upon the area that the child urinated upon. The male child that is. And we covered that this is a matter of ibadah. 
This is a matter of ibadah. That this is the commandment that is found in the sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And to know this is sufficient in knowing why we must do this. As for knowing the other reasons why there's a difference between the urine of the male child and the urine of the female child, wallahi, that's not upon us. What is upon us to know that this is an act of worship in relation to cleaning off that impurity from the garment. And that is sufficient to know. That this is what Allah has commanded with by way of the Prophet wasallam. You don't have to know every wisdom behind a commandment or prohibition or an act that we find in the Quran and the Sunnah. Except that this is what we worship Allah with it. That's it. That's what's upon us to know. As for the other benefits, if a person knows them, alhamdulillah. If a person doesn't know them and all he knows that this is what Allah has commanded with in the Quran, or this is what Allah has commanded with in the sunnah, wallahi, that suffices the person. And that the person is carrying it out as an act of worship and following the legislations of the religion. How? What is the age limit? It's a child that doesn't eat food. The child that only takes from the breast milk or only desires the breast milk. What Once the child reaches uh, the age of where he, he's eating food and he's no longer upon the breast milk. And this is, the, the age of two is the, the, the top limit. Two and up for sure because the breastfeeding time ends at the age of two. That's when the rules that are connected to breastfeeding come to an end at the age of two. Now if a woman breastfeeds after the age of two, okay. But the rules and regulations Connected to breast milk and that too. Like for instance, your wife babysits the child of her friend or your friend. And the child is, is a newborn. If your wife suckles that child five feedings, meaning five different feedings where the child was fed to its full stop, that's one, and then number two, a second time, then a third time, then a fourth time, then a fifth time, that child now is your child from breastfeeding, and is her child from breastfeeding. But that's if the child is under the age of two years old. If this feeding took place after the child was two years old, it doesn't have any effect. So once the child begins to desire the solid food and is no longer depending upon the breast milk, then the rule doesn't count now. That child's urine has to be washed, just like an adult's urine, meaning the male child. And the female child, her urine is washed in all cases. And we had covered 
the statement of the scholars where they stated the Qatada, he said, Wahada Malam Yatama that this model, this rule is for is when the child does not eat. But if the child does eat, then the urine is to be washed. As the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, this narration is on the authority of Ali bin Abi Talib, Anna Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam qala fi bawlil ghulam ar-radhi' Yumdah bawlul ghulam wa yuksal bawlul jariya. The Prophet Sallallahu said that the urine of the male child water is to be sprinkled over it and the urine of the female child is to be washed. Qatari he said, Wahada ma lam yat'ama fa'idha ta'ima ghusila jami'a. This is in the case when the child does not eat the solid food. But when the child eats solid food, then the urine is to be washed in all cases, or both cases. We cover that some of the scholars they mentioned that the reason behind this is that the females, the female child urine is heavier than the male child's urine. So for this reason, the female child, her urine is washed and the male child's urine is sprinkled with water. Other scholars have stated that the male child, especially in the custom of the Arab, the male child was more beloved than the female child. So the male child was carried more than the female child. So for this reason, because of the female child not being carried, most of the times her urine is to be washed, and the male child urine is to be sprinkled with water because that's of difficulty because you constantly are carrying that male child. Another statement is that the The male child, his urine spreads out. Whereas the female child, urine is in one place. Because of the difference of the privates. So it would be difficult to wash everything so the water is sprinkled over it. Whereas the female child, the area is directly washed.
There is another statement that has been attributed to Al-Imam Al-Shafi'i. However, the statement uh, is not proven to be the statement of Al-Imam Al-Shafi'i. But the statement is that the male child or the urine of the male child is from dirt. And the urine of the female child is from flesh and blood. How is that? Adam salam, he's from He's created from dirt. And the male child follows his father. Whereas the male child is like Adam salam, who is created from dirt. And Adam is a male. And as for Hawa, then she is a female. So the female is similar to her mother Hawa. And Hawa has been created from the rib of Adam alayhi salam. So that is between the flesh and the blood. So they said for this reason, the male child, the urine is sprinkled with water, whereas the female child, the urine is washed. So, and that's why you have this difference. Due to the origin, Adam being from dirt, and dirt is pure, and Hawa being from flesh and blood. However, again, the statement is not authentic uh, upon Al-Imam Al-Shafi, but the scholars, they mention it as a means of benefit. In any event, Barakallah Fikum, it is a matter of ibadah, a matter of worship. Another point that comes, when it comes to impurity, it is recommended that they are cleaned off immediately. That when impurities get upon your garments, it is recommended that these impurities are cleaned off immediately. And that one should not delay the cleaning of the impurities from the garments. And likewise, wherever you pray, the area, if impurity gets upon the ground and is an area you pray, you should clean it off immediately. And if you're going to make salat right at that moment, then it's obligatory that you clean that area right then and there. And likewise, if you're going to make salat, and the garment that has impurity on it, you have to clean that garment right then and there. You have to clean it immediately. But if you're not going to make salat, and impurity gets upon the garment, you're not obligated to clean it right away, but you have to clean it before you pray in it. But the, you have the scholars mentioned, it's recommended that you should clean it right away anyway. And one of the reasons the scholars, they say why you should clean it right away 
Number one, purification or cleanliness is from faith, is from iman. Number two, if you clean it right away, then you close the door to the whispers of the shaitan and you protect yourself from forgetting. As for the whispers of the shaitan, impurities fall upon a place or your garment and you don't clean it right away and you had went about your business and then later on you came back the shaitan says maybe the children caused that impurity to be all over the house now because they walked through it so now you're wondering where did they go so they tracked it all over the house or you think that this impurity has been tracked all over the house now you're washing the whole house now whereas the impurity was just in one area because of that whisper from the shaitan Or the impurity gets upon your garment and you don't wash it right away. Then later on, the time for the salat comes in and then you forget where the impurity was upon the garment. So now what happens? The shaitan, he says to you, busying you in your prayer, the baby peed on your garment, remember? SubhanAllah. Now what happens? You have to leave the prayer because you forgot to wash it. Because the shaitan, when you pray, he doesn't come to you for the purpose of aiding you to remember Allah and to be focused on your prayer. He comes to you to distract you in your prayer. He comes to you to distract you in your prayer and to cut off your ibadah and to cause you to lose the rewards from your ibadah. Especially the salat of shaitan, he steals from the salat. As mentioned by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So the sisters, when the children urinate on your garments, clean them right away. When the children urinate on the floor, clean that area right away. This is what's recommended for you to do. So that you can close the door to the whispers of the shaitan and close the door to forgetting. As for that which is obligatory, to be cleaned right away if some impurities fall in the masjid that has to be cleaned right away 
Like when the man urinated in the masjid, as soon as he finished, the Prophet said, get water and pour it over it. As soon as he finished. Because the masjid is the place of prayer. Also, if some impurities was to get on the Quran, a woman, she's changing her child, and sometimes the children they urinate as they're being changed. The urine got on the Quran. It's possible. That has to be cleaned right away. Because the Quran is something that is honored. And we should not leave the impurities upon the Quran. Or the scholars say any books, the religious books, the books of fiqh, the books of hadith and the likes, that these books should be cleaned right away. And again, if you're going to pray in an area that impurity has got upon, you have to clean that area right away. And if you're going to pray in a garment that urine has got on or impurities have got on, then it is obligatory to clean that garment right away. And we have the narration where the woman, she asked the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam about her garment or the garment of the woman that the blood of the menstruation got upon. What is she to do? And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam told her to gather the garment together and to rub it and to wash it with water and then pray in it. And then pray in it. And it shows here that the Prophet Sallallahu commanded her with this, the cleaning of the garment in his manner, for the purpose of praying in that garment. For, for the purpose of praying in that garment, showing that it is important to have one's garment clean uh, for prayer. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam ala nabiyyana Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in amma ba'd. We continue with benefits from the biographies of the wives of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And we are still with the life of our mother Khadija radiallahu anha. And in the last class we have mentioned uh, the statement from Ibn Ishaq of that which he uh, stated from his studies of the seerah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam tataba'at ala rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam al-masaib bihalaki Khadija wa kanat lahu wazira sidqin ala al-islam yashku ilayha o yaskun ilayha so Ibn Ishaq rahimahullah ta'ala he mentioned that the calamities came down upon the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam one after another with the death of Khadija. And she was a, an advisor of truth 
or sincere, truthful advisor to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam regarding Islam, and he used to go to her and voice his complaints to her, or he used to go to her and find tranquility in her. So we are covered at Khadija radiallahu anha that she was a source of comfort for the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and that she was a sincere advisor to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and that which he used to go through of hardships when dealing with the people he would go to Khadija and voice his complaints about that which the people would do to him and how they responded to him or their lack of response. And Khadija radiallahu anha will bring comfort to him when he will come to her and voice these things. So when Khadija died, and we covered that Khadija had died three days after the death of Abu Talib. And you will find that some scholars of Sirah, they stated that Abu Talib died after Khadija. But in any event, with the death of Khadija and the death of his uncle Abu Talib, this was a hard situation upon the Prophet wasallam. And again, this year is known as the year of sadness. So their death came one after another. The uncle's death, Khadija's death. So this is a calamity upon a calamity of the Prophet wasallam, and sadness upon sadness. And then on top of that, he, he, in the death of Abu Talib, he lost the protection. Not only did he lose an uncle that was beloved to his heart, as the Prophet, he loved his uncle with natural love and he wanted his uncle to be guided. However, he died upon the religion of his father. But with the death of Abu Talib, now the people began to increase in their hostilities towards the Prophet And likewise with the death of Khadija, he lost that moral support and he lost the uh, advisor that he had in her and other than that that he had in Khadija he lost that with her death so these are hardships upon hardships coming upon the Prophet and now with the death of his uncle and his wife the people are increasing in their hostilities towards the Prophet So the death of Khadija radiallahu anha was a big loss to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Lastly, we wanted to end regarding the benefits from the life of Khadija radiallahu anha. That which is possibly the greatest event that took place with Khadija radiallahu anha and that is what has come in the narration of Aisha radiallahu anha and this is in the Sahih of Imam al-Bukhari and Urwa ibn al-Zubair 
عن عائشة أم المؤمنين أنها قالت أول ما بودي به رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من الوحي رؤيا الصالحة في النوم فكان لا يرى رؤيا إلا جاءت مثل فلق الصبح ثم حبب إليه الخلاء وكان يخلو بغار حراء فيتحنث فيه وهو التعبد الليالي ذوات العدد قبل أن ينزع إلى أهله ويتزود لذلك ثم يرجع إلى خديجة فيتزود لمثلها حتى جاءه الحق وهو في غار حراء فجاءه الملك فقال اقرأ قال ما أنا بقاري قال فأخذني فغطني حتى بلغ مني الجهد ثم رسل ثم أرسلني فقال اقرأ قلت ما أنا بقاري فأخذني فقطني الثانية حتى بلغ مني الجهد ثم أرسلني فقال اقرأ فقلت ما أنا بقاري فأخذني فقطني الثالثة ثم أرسلني فقال اقرأ باسم ربك الذي خلق خلق الإنسان من علق فرجع بها رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يرجف فؤاده فدخل على خديجة بنت خويلد فقال زملوني زملوني فزملوه حتى ذهب عنه الروع فقال لخديجة وأخبرها الخبر لقد خشيت على نفسي فقالت له خديجة كلا والله ما يحزنك ما يحزنك الله أبدا إنك لتصل الرحم وتحمل الكلا وتكسب المعدوم وتقري الضيف وتعين على نوائب الحق فانطلقت به خديجة حتى أتت به ورقة بن نوفل ابن أسد ابن عبد العزة ابن عم خديجة وكان وكان امرئا قد تنصر في الجاهلية وكان يكتب الكتاب الإبرانية فيكتب من الإنجيل بالإبرانية ما شاء الله أن يكتب وكان شيخا كبيرا قد عمي فقالت له خديجة يا ابن عمي اسمع من ابن أخيك فقال له ورقة يا بنا أخي ماذا ترى فأخبره رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم خبر ما رأى فقال له ورقة هذا الناموس الذي نزل الله على موسى يا ليتني فيها جذع ليتني أكون حيا إذ يخرجك قومك فقال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أو مخرجيهم قال نعم لم يأتي رجل قط بمثل ما جئت بي إلا أوضيا وإن يدركني يومك أنصرك نصرا مؤزرا ثم لم ينشب ورقة أن توفي وفتر الوحي
This narration on the authority of Urwa Ibn Zubair on Aisha, the mother of the believers. May Allah be pleased with her. She stated the commencement or the beginning of the divine revelation to Allah's messenger was in the form of the good, true, righteous dreams which came true like the bright daylight. And then the matter of seclusion became beloved to the Prophet ﷺ. And he used to go into seclusion in the cave of Hira, where he used to worship Allah. And he used to worship Allah continuously for many nights before returning to his family. He used to take with him the journey food, for the stay and then come back to his wife Khadija to take his provisions likewise again until one day the truth descended upon him while he was in the cave of Hira. The angel came to him and said to him, read. The Prophet ﷺ said, I do not know how to read. The Prophet, the Messenger ﷺ, he went on to state, that the angel then grabbed me forcefully and squeezed me hard that I could not bear it anymore. He released me and then said to me again, read. And I replied, I do not know how to read. Thereupon he caught me again and grabbed me again and squeezed me again for a second time until I could not bear it anymore. And then he released me and he said to me, read. But again I replied, I do not know how to read. Thereupon he grabbed me and squeezed me for the third time, and pressed me hard for the third time, then he released me. And he said, read in the name of your Lord who has created all that exists. He created man from a clot. Read in your Lord is the most generous. And then Allah's Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, returned with the revelation, with his heart beating severely, and he was in a state of fright. He went to Khadija bint Khuwaylid, and he said, cover me, cover me. And they covered him up until his fear was gone. And after that, he told Khadija everything that happened. And he said, I fear that something may happen to me. And then Khadija radiallahu an. She said, never by Allah, Allah will never disgrace you. You keep good relations with your kith and kin. You help the poor and the destitute. And you serve your guests generously and you assist those who have been afflicted with calamities. Then Khadija, she took him to her cousin Waraka ibn Nawfal, ibn Asad ibn Abdul Uzza. Who during the period of ignorance he became a Christian and he used to write with the writing of Hebrew and he would write from the gospel and Hebrew as much as Allah willed for him to write. And he was an old man who had lost his eyesight at the time. And Khadija she said to Waraka, listen to the story of your nephew or my cousin. Waraka, he said, O oh my nephew, what have you seen? And Allah's Messenger described whatever he saw. 
and waraka, he said, this is an-namus. Meaning the one who keeps the secrets. Meaning the angel Jibreel salam, The one whom Allah sent down to Musa. He said, I wish I were a young man. And I can live up to the time when your people will expel you. The Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa said, Will they expel me? Waraka, he replied, Yes, and no man has come with the likes of that which you have come with except that he was harmed. And he was met with hostilities. And if I should be alive on the day when this takes place, then I will support you in a strong manner. But after a few days, Waraka, he passed away, and the divine revelation had halted or came to a pause for a short while. This narration, Imam al-Bukhari rahimahullah ta'ala, he brings in his Sahih in the beginning in the book of Revelation. Mentioning how the revelation began with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And Aisha radiallahu anha is the one that is mentioning this narration. However, at this time, Aisha radiallahu anha was not present. So how is it that she can narrate this narration? Either she received this narration from another companion or she received it directly from the Prophet even though she was not present to witness this situation. And this doesn't harm the narration as all of the companions of the Prophet Muhammad are trustworthy. So if she's narrating on another companion, it doesn't matter. It doesn't harm the narration. And you have some of the ulama, they say more than likely, she heard this story directly from the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Aisha radiallahu anha, she mentioned that the revelation began with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the form of righteous dreams. And this portion of prophethood remains with the people. The righteous dreams, as dreams are of three types. The dreams that come from Allah, the dreams that come from yourself, and the dreams that come from shaitan. As for the dreams that come from Allah, the righteous dreams, these are the good things that you see in your dreams and they come true. That's from Allah. That's the portion of prophethood that remains with the people. It doesn't make them prophets though. But it's a portion of the prophethood. And the dreams that come from yourself are the things that you ponder and think about. And as a result of it, you dream about it because you're constantly thinking about these things. And then the dreams that are from the shaitan are those things that you see in your dream that are frightening. The nightmares or the things that you dislike. 
These type of dreams you should not relay to anyone. Rather, when you have a bad dream, then you turn to your left and slightly spit three times. Seek refuge with Allah from the shaitan and from that which you saw and, and turn to your other side. And do not relay that which you saw to anyone. So these righteous dreams would come to the Prophet wasallam, and then they would become a reality. Just like the brightness of the daylight. And then seclusion was made beloved to the Prophet wasallam. And he went up to the cave of Hira to go into seclusion and to worship Allah there the best way he knew how. And at this time, it is not from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ for the people to go up to this cave to pray to Raqqa in that place. The scholars, they say this is not something that was legislated by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and this is not something that the Sahaba they did radiallahu anhum ajma'een but you find people going up to the cave to pray to Raqqa and to go into this area and some have even died climbing up that mountain and this is not allowed this is not from that which Allah has legislated so one the point that was mentioned in the narration, he used to take his provisions. And he would go up to the mountain to receive, uh, to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in seclusion. And then he would stay up there for nights and then come back to his family and get his provisions again. And here it shows that Khadija radiallahu anha, she was supportive of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam from the beginning. As she would get his provisions ready for him. And she did not complain well, why you keep going up there to worship Allah, why you keep won't you stay here with your family? You didn't find this type of behavior coming from Khadija. Rather she was supportive of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and him worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So once the Prophet ﷺ was in the cave, the angel Jibreel ﷺ came to him and grabbed him, told him to read. And the Prophet ﷺ said, I do not know how to read. It's the Prophet ﷺ for one of the signs or the miracles of him truly being a prophet is that he was not one who could read the written word. However, when he relayed the revelation to the people, it was the most eloquent of speech. So the Prophet ﷺ was not able to read the written word. So the angel, Jibreel, grabbed him and squeezed him with force. And then he released him and told him to read. And the Prophet again responded, I do not know how to read. And somehow translated it as, Ma ana bikari, and what, what am I to read? What am I to read? 
the Prophet sallallahu he did not know how to read the written word. And with the proof of that is during the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, the Prophet sallallahu told Ali to erase from the written treaty uh, from Muhammad sallallahu the Messenger of Allah. And the Quraysh said to him, had we known you were the Messenger of Allah, we would not have fought against you. So the, the Prophet sallallahu told Ali to erase it. Ali said, I will never erase from you this title of you being the Messenger of Allah. The Prophet said, where is it? Show it to me. And then the people showed it to him and the Prophet erased it himself. He could not read the written word. This is not a, a matter of slight or the uh, a matter that can be used to criticize the Prophet sallallahu as again, this was one of the signs that he was truly a prophet and messenger from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Jabir alayhi salam squeezed him for the third time and released him and told him, Iqra bismi rabbika alladhi khala khalaqa al-insana min ala iqra wa rabbuka al-akram. Read in the name of your Lord, the one who has created, the one who has created mankind from maklat, read. And your Lord is the most generous. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam returned with the revelation of that which happened to Khadija. In his heart he was in a state of fear. And his heart was racing. And he entered upon Khadija, the daughter of Khuwaylid, and he said, Zanminuni, Zanminuni. Cover me up, cover me up. So they covered him up until his fear had left. So he calmed down. And this is one of the great virtues of Khadija radiallahu anha. Her husband has just experienced a frightening situation. And he's coming home to her. And what does she do? She brings calm to him. And this is how a wife should be with her husband. That if she sees that her husband is in a state of fright, that she should react in a manner to calm him down. Not herself get into a state of fright and which will increase his fright. Obviously something serious has happened and taken place. And it is important for the woman to know their husbands and to know their, the character of their husbands and the mannerisms of their husbands. So whenever they see their husbands out of their normal character, the first response is to bring calm to the husband. Not bombarding him with questions. Rather calm him down first. Bring some tranquility to his heart first. This is what was done by Khadija. And then the Prophet spoke. See, she waited for him to speak. She didn't start saying, what happened? What took place? What's going on? 
It says, فَقَالَ لِي خَدِيجَةً So he said to Khadija and informed her of what took place. Shows the patience of Khadija radiallahu anha. And it's, remember, this is the beginning right here. So she was patient and she waited for him to speak. And this is how the woman should be. If they see that their husband, his mannerisms is not norm, seek to calm him down and then secondly be patient until he's ready to talk about the situation and give him the opportunity to say what happened. So once he uh, calmed down, The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam He said To Khadija radiallahu an Laqad khashitu ala nafsi I was afraid for myself That something was going to happen Or something happened So Khadija she said Kalla Never And this is a good response From Khadija She said Wallahi ما يحزنك الله. In another wording, ما يخزيك الله. She says, "By Allah, Allah will never disgrace you or make you sad. Or Allah will never make you sad or disgrace you. أبداً. Allah will never do this to you." So she's trying to, or what she's doing by saying this is to, to to emphasize her action of bringing tranquility and calm to the Prophet He's going through a frightening situation. He thinks something may happen. She says, no, Allah will never disgrace you. To put the ease back there, to put the comfort back there, and then she goes on to mention the reasons why Allah Azawajal will not disgrace him. As she stated, anha, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was one, innaka la tasiru rahm, wa tahmilu al that you are a person who keeps the ties with your kith and ken. Meaning you are not a person who breaks the ties of kinship. You have a good relationship with your family. And she mentioned that you are one who helps the poor people. Those who are weak. Those who are in need. You aid them. The poor, the needy, the orphans, and the likes. The Prophet ﷺ, prior to him being a prophet and messenger, he was one who helped the people who were in need, and helped the poor and helped the weak. And then she mentioned, radiallahu anha, that those who were destitute, she, he also he helped them. And that he was one who was honorable to his guest.
this act of Khadija radiallahu anha mentioning these good characteristics of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was to support her claim that Allah will not disgrace him. This shows that Khadija radiallahu anha was a woman who spoke with proofs and evidences. As she mentioned her statement, Allah will never disgrace you, and then she mentioned why. And this is how the women are to be. That when they speak, they speak with proofs and evidences. They speak with that which supports their speech. And not just speak from emotions or speak from imagination. No, speak from the reality of the affairs. For when speaking from the reality of the affairs, this is a means of bringing about tranquility and harmony. This is a means of bringing about resolve to situations. Also, Khadija radiallahu anha, she mentioned that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam used to assist those who were afflicted with calamities. So Khadija is saying that no evil is going to come to you based upon these noble characteristics that Allah has made you upon. And because of you being good to the people, Allah, He is good to you. Allah will never disgrace you. And in this is the proof that having good mannerisms and good character this is a cause of being safe and free from being disgraced by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it also shows the permissibility of mention, mentioning the good of a person in their face when there is a need to mention it. Also it shows that when some type of calamity or frightening situation befalls a Muslim that it is from the religion to try to bring happiness and calmness to this Muslim and to mention the reason why there is safety and security for this Muslim and this here Barakallah Fikum wa Fikunna it shows why Khadija radiallahu anha was the best of the women to show how she was the rock for the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and how she radiallahu anha was a woman of strength and was a woman of fiqh and understanding in the religion and that which further proves that she was a woman of fiqh and understanding in the religion that she took the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam to a scholar her cousin Waraka he was a scholar he had became a Christian he was one who was able to read and write in the Hebrew language and he wrote from the Injil in the Hebrew language that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will for him to write. 
And Khadija took the Prophet ﷺ to him because he's a man who is known to have knowledge in the religion. And this is one of the greatest acts of Khadija radiallahu anha taking the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam to Ahl al-ilm. And this is how the wives should be with their husbands. When they see that their husbands are going through tests or going through a situation, to refer the husband to the scholars of the deen, the ulama. And in our case, the ulama of Ahl sunnah the scholars of the people of the sunnah. This is from the goodness of a wife to her husband, that she reminds her husband and encourages her husband, return this matter back to the ulama. So she took the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam to Waraka. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam explained to Waraka what took place. And Waraka, he said, this is a namus. And namus, this is Jibreel. And what is the meaning of namus? Sahibu sir al-khayr. The one who holds the secret of goodness. As Jibreel alayhi salam, he is the angel that is entrusted with the revelation. And he is the one who went to the previous prophets and messengers, and he mentioned, this is the one who Allah sent down upon Musa. So he mentioned he wished that he was a young man. And that he could live up to the time where the people would drive him out. Meaning that he wished that he was younger so that he can be with the Prophet ﷺ and support him. And be by his side. For this is the mannerisms of the ulama. That they are the people who are in support of the truth and upholding the truth. And Waraka, he was aware of the signs, as in, is mentioned in other places that Waraka, he put his hand behind the back of the Prophet ﷺ, feeling for the seal of prophethood, and he felt it. As it was between the shoulders, a lump of flesh between the shoulders of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So when he told the Prophet this, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, "Are they going to expel me?" And Waraka said, "Yes. No man has come with the likes of that which you have come with, except that he is harmed. And if your day reaches me, while I'm still alive, I'm going to support you in a strong manner." Even in his old age, Waraka is mentioning that he will support the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So Khadija radiallahu anha, she's the first woman to believe in the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and Waraka was the first man to believe in the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And Ali bin Abi Talib was the first child to believe in the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. 
And Abu Bakr radiallahu an was the first man to believe in the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam after he became a messenger. Waraka radiallahu an, he died a few days after and then the revelation halted for a period of time. But we see here this praiseworthy position of our mother Khadija radiallahu anha and so many beautiful characteristics from our mother Khadija and the stance of hers with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in the beginning of the affair she was there with him. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make that which has been mentioned a benefit for the woman of our communities, of our ummah, the woman of our family. And whatever is correct, the praise is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. And whatever is incorrect, it is for myself. Wa subhanaka Allahumma bihamdika shadu an la ilaha ila anta staghfiruka wa atubi ilayka.